Why can't we ever get anything built on time, let alone on budget in this province? And so the alarm bells, if you're uh, just tuning in, are uh, sounding over the costs of the Doug Ford's signature transit subway project. So this is the Ontario line. Remember, we were told this thing was going to cost $10.9 billion. Now we learn the costs are ballooning up to the $19 billion. And, of course, that number will likely rise, too. Because I think what's entirely predictable across this province is that once a big infrastructure project like this is announced, it never comes in on budget. And it never comes in on time. Have they, have they finished Union Station yet? Is that thing done? Uh, I'm sure they're still tinkering with something. Nonetheless... You know, so as it stands, if the price doesn't go up, we're going to be paying over a billion dollars for each of this line's 16 kilometers, assuming, of course, there's no more price hikes. Let me bring in, hopefully, someone who can explain this. Matty uh, Simiatic is joining us from the Canada Research Chair in Infrastructure Planning and Finance over at the University of Toronto. Great to have you, Matty. Hi, Alex. Nice to be with you. All righty. So uh, I think the basic question is, you know, I know not to assume that anything we ever hear announced from any government will ever actually produce a timely, let alone, you know, cost-efficient um, outcomes. But why is it that we are always caught by these surprise costs? Well, your instinct is right. These projects almost never come in uh, on time and on budget. And uh, today's announcement about the Ontario line is stunning, but not surprising. I mean, mm-hmm. to essentially double in cost. Uh, even before shovels have really hit the hit the ground, is uh, a massive escalation. Uh, and this is very typical. And uh, this is an Ontario story, but this is also a global story. Uh, research around the world shows that these big projects uh, typically uh, are late and over budget. Uh, and the amount of overrun is huge. Uh, for transit projects, especially underground rail projects, the average cost overrun is 48%. Mm. Uh, and that's the average. That means many of them are going way further over budget than that. Uh, and that's where we're at with uh, the Ontario line. Yeah, and it's a political story because at the end of the day, the politicians want the headlines, they want the uh, accolades. Um, but, you know, as a taxpayer, we want accountability. And so it should be kind of baked in that when we hear these announcements, we, we hammer the politicians to say, okay, now give us the real cost. Because it just, it, we've yet to see, it would be a miracle. It would be a news story if we actually did come in on budget. So the NDP blames the escalation of these costs on the uh, public-private uh, P3 model, which yep. is a mix of infrastructure contracts that are awarded to both, um, you know, the public side of, of, of this thing and then the private side. Do you agree with that, or, or is there a, what is the catch as far as you're concerned? Well, there's been a lot of scrutiny on public-private partnerships of late. Uh, they were brought in in the mid-2000s, actually under the Liberal government, as a way to control costs and deliver projects on uh, on time. Uh, their slogan was on time and on budget. Uh, and they were initially for hospitals uh, and courthouses and, right. and uh, social infrastructure. And when they've moved into the civil infrastructure, especially transit, they have not performed well. Uh, Eglinton Crosstown is a public-private partnership. That project is way delayed and has had budget overruns. Uh, the Ottawa LRT project has had huge problems. Well, I think it's a disaster. Uh, construction and now actually during operations as well. Uh, there's problems with P3 projects in Edmonton. So there's been a lot of scrutiny on public-private partnerships. This idea that, for, especially for big transit projects, uh, that they can deliver on time and on budget uh, has not been borne out. And there's a lot of scrutiny about whether this should be the way uh, of delivering big projects going forward. What would be? I mean, I, look, I, I do think there's a way to do it. I mean, I get that costs, Maddie, will go up because you have to factor in things like inflation. You have to factor in things that, you know, maybe when you dig the hole, something jumps out at you and you weren't expecting it. However, those things should be, I think, already put in. Like, here's a worst case scenario. Here's the best case scenario. But also, I think you can make this work if you put 
things into the contract where if you don't deliver by this date, here is the penalty. The taxpayers aren't going to pay for that. Why doesn't that happen? The public-private partnership model actually intends to do exactly what you described. It's essentially a pay-for-performance type of model where uh, the private sector designs the project, uh, they build it, but they also put their own money into the project. So it's called skin in the game, mm-hmm. that they have risk capital in the project, uh, that if the project doesn't go well, uh, the government withholds payments and their lenders uh, get frustrated with them and bear pressure on them uh, in order to deliver. But what we've seen in practice is that the risks are too large uh, and that when those risks materialize, they end, the government is ultimately the risk holder of last resort uh, and the projects get delayed and they end up paying. And the other point is that no one takes on risk for free. Uh, And so when you try to shift risk to the private sector, they charge a premium for that risk. uh, And those premiums are very significant. And that's also what we're seeing on these big transit projects as well. But we're also not big thinkers. I mean, I try to be a kind of what's the big picture? What's it going to look like if I take this action? How will it pan out? We don't get that when it comes to government. And so we never get like, if I do X, what will it mean for Z? And they don't ever seem to plan ahead. Like if I rip up this road... Um, should we maybe check the water pipes, fix those, get the lighting systems in place? Like, n- There's never any of that kind of communication. So I feel like we do a lot of projects, way more than we actually should, because they're not planned. Well, that is that, is that old line, uh, measure twice, cut once. And yeah. you see that you know, on, your, on, on streets, and often you see it on your own street, uh, when they do the water line, and then they do the gas line, and then they do the telecoms, and it's like three years your street is dug up one after the other after the other. And there have been efforts to coordinate, uh, but it, it continues to be a challenge. Uh, many of the different pieces of infrastructure are owned by different owners, some of them public and some of them private. And that coordination uh, has, has, has been difficult. And then there's issues of the plans being outdated. Uh, in many cases, we're dealing with decades-old infrastructure. Yeah. I should also say in this case, I mean, we do have to be fair that costs have skyrocketed. And anyone who's done a renovation recently knows that costs have yeah. gone up. And in many ways, that was unforeseen from a project that was to a degree to a degree ago. I'm not I'm not that forgiving I think you're being generous uh, but again <laughs> I, these are things that you think okay because I know that this was announced uh, I think during the pandemic so they knew that the times were changing and I just think okay we've got to always there always has to be or should be a worst case scenario if interest rates go up if inflation goes mm-hmm. if something changes here's where we've incorporated in those costs but again we don't get that and, and I understand why politicians do it I just don't understand why we allow it well, there is a huge political imperative here, and I think we should focus on that as well. That yeah. The politicians, when the projects are launched, and again, this is found in research globally. This isn't just sort of anecdotal mm-hmm. experience here in Toronto or Ontario. But when projects are launched, governments typically want to announce the lowest price possible yeah. in order to get political support for the project. Uh, if you announced that it was going to be $20 billion a few years ago, uh, would everyone have balked at it? Uh, so oftentimes, you know, we put forward the best case scenario, our hopeful scenario. Uh, we're an optimistic species, and there's this idea of optimism bias that everyone involved brings their optimism. They think that they're better at delivering projects than everyone else, uh, and that they'll be able to be uh, the black swan, you know, the one that stands out, that does it on time and on budget where everyone else has failed. Uh, so there's this political dimension and there's this psychological dimension that comes together in these big projects. And in that brew, you end up with projects just t- typically uh, and consistently consistently going over budget and being uh, late. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, people just want, they just want delivery on service. And, and it just, again, uh, we always come up short. I mean, to your point on that Ottawa project, that thing has been a gong show, still a gong show. They're probably happy they had those uh, trucking protests because at least it got everyone stopping talking about their uh, big transit problems uh, with infrastructure. Nonetheless, we'll see what the uh, reaction is from the politicians today. Maddie, very much appreciate you breaking it down. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Nice being with you. Thank you. That is uh, Maddie 
Simi Attack uh, joining us here from the Canada Research Chair of uh, Infrastructure Planning. I, we need the projects. I just wish we actually got more straight talk on it. 